everyone, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. My name's Alice and this is episode 85 where I'm going to tackle William Carlos Williams. Finally, properly. I have mentioned Williams once before in an episode I did about poetry in the news, but I realized uh, last week that I had never actually done an episode on Williams, which is weird because I do like Williams' poetry quite a lot and he comes up all the time amongst poets and amongst people who just have a casual relationship with poetry. So I thought I'd better get down to it. And part of the reason I decided to do this now is that I finally watched the movie Patterson. It came out in 2016 and friends of mine at the time said, you really have to watch this film, Alice, which is a guaranteed way to make me not watch a film. But I finally sat down the other day and watched it. And uh, on first viewing, I really, really, really loved it. Went away, started thinking about it, started to see some of the issues with it, and then watched it again last night, and those issues became glaringly obvious to me. So, and I think they're the same issues that I have with some of William's poetry as well. So what I'd like to do today is talk a bit about the movie Patterson, hopefully without spoiling it too much for you. I think it brings up quite a few interesting ideas around what it is to be a working poet, a poet who works. And uh, then I will look at the actual poem Patterson by Williams. And uh, I think there's going to be some echoes there in between the film and Williams' work in terms of the, the problems with it, if you will. So Patterson, as I said, came out in 2016. It's a film by Jim Jarmusch. And it is the story of a bus driver who lives in Patterson. His name is Patterson. He lives a very simple life with his wife, Laura, and his dog, Marvin. And it's a week in his life. And when you first watch this film, if you're anything like me, you spend a lot of it kind of on the edge of your seat, even though very little happens. For some reason, Jarmusch creates this sense of tension in the film that something really horrible is about to happen at any point. And uh, in the end, nothing terrible really happens. There are events that happen throughout the week, but this is just a story of the quiet life of a poet. And it is a modern day story. As I said, it came out in 2016, and it's clear that the film is set in 2016, Although importantly, Patterson himself, who's played by Adam Driver, he could be living in almost any time. He doesn't have a smartphone. He, uh, he writes in a notebook. He doesn't use a computer at all at any point in the film. And he has this beautiful routine, this beautiful daily routine, which to me is the most intoxicating aspect of the film. Lately, my own daily routine has been hugely, hugely variable, which has made for a couple of moments of feeling like I had something interesting to write down, something to scribble in my notebook while I was on the tram or sitting somewhere waiting for someone. But it has not been the kind of routine that supports daily writing, a sustained effort on anything. And so watching Patterson, I thought, yeah, this is... This is ideal. You know, you wake up uh, just after six every morning, you have your breakfast, you go to work, you take your lunch break, write your poems, 
come home, continue working on the draft. Then you take your nightly walk with your dog and sit at a bar, have a beer, and then you come home and then you do it all again. And this is something I think I've learned too from watching um, my dad actually, who is an academic and a writer. And his daily routine is so predictable. He does exactly the same thing almost every day. He, he never knows what day of the week it is because it doesn't matter to him if it's a Tuesday or a Saturday. He gets up, he, uh, he goes for coffee, comes back and writes, has lunch, goes out again, has another coffee, uh, writes some more. It's just this rhythm of like moving out of the house and back into the house. And because he doesn't really do anything very differently day to day, it means that his mind is completely free to just be working on whatever ideas um, are percolating in his mind. And that's exactly what Patterson does too. He's a bus driver. And as he's driving the bus through the city of Patterson, poems are coming to him and he's going over and over lines in his head. And then when he stops for his lunch break, he can actually sit down and, and write these ideas down. Uh, just as a sidebar, if you've seen the film, you might be wondering whether the poems were written by uh, a poet or just by the, the scriptwriter. They're written by the poet Ron Paget. it turns out. And yeah, they're, I think they're quite beautiful. I mean, they're not kind of revolutionary in any way, but they have that same kind of dailiness that appears in William's work and obviously reflects the dailiness of, that the character is experiencing. So there is so much to love about this film. Adam Driver's great. I mean, he's perfect for this part. Still don't know why you would cast him in Star Wars, but um, he's really good in this film. He really, really suits it. And it's incredibly beautifully shot. It's very, uh, the pacing is very gentle. It's just my kind of movie. Like very little happens. Nothing explodes. Zero explosions in this film. But the thing that you will notice is that the uh, principal female character has very little to do. And as I said, on first viewing, this didn't really register with me for a little while, not until a few days later when I started to think about this character and what her role was. Um, but then on second viewing last night, I was just sitting there thinking, oh, geez, this, this woman sort of does nothing that isn't completely uh, either incidental or directed at supporting her poet partner's work. And I looked up a review of the film um, on Roger Ebert's website. This is by Glenn Kenny, who talks a little bit about this character. Patterson's marriage is a little retro, parenthesis. Some critics have derided it as retrograde politically, a claim I find not pertinent. And... Uh, Glenn Kenny goes on to say about this character, Laura, she bakes delicious cupcakes, dubious dinner pies, is unfailingly sweet, and decorates the couple's small house with bold black and white patterns, which also distinguish her cupcakes. She has some whimsical seeming ambitions that Patterson either indulges or helps her with, depending on how you want to look at it. But aside from muse functions, she has little to do with her husband's daily routine which aside from driving a bus is devoted to poetry. So yeah, on second viewing, like I said, that Laura's role or lack thereof was glaringly obvious to me. She is only there to support 
Patterson and the work that he is doing. And look, I mean, I think in some ways that could be a very beautiful thing to have a partner that would support you in your daily writing and to allow you to have that kind of really repetitious and cyclical routine and to not kind of pull you out of that too often. I think that could be a really, really great thing. I think just ideally you'd want you'd want that person to also have their own thing going on, uh, whether they were male or female. You wouldn't want to be have you wouldn't want to have somebody who was just completely devoted to your art, would you? I don't know. I I just think that would feel bad. But yeah, again, the routine that is displayed, the routine that's outlined in this film is just so intoxicating so much so that um at a presentation i gave last week just about the work of being a poet i went to a little networking breakfast event where people came to kind of exchange ideas and hear about the work that creative people do and somebody asked me uh, she was a career counselor and she asked me what should i tell parents of emerging poets such a massive question to answer and I wasn't really sure what to say but one piece of advice that I did give was to just allow that person to separate their creative work from the work of making money because I think it could be quite scary right if you were the parent of a poet if you were the parent of somebody who was so devoted to poetry you might start to panic. You might start to think, well, how are they going to support themselves? You know, are they ever going to get a real job, quote unquote? And yeah, I brought up the example of Patterson and said, look, in this film, uh, you've got a character who is a bus driver, which is an important job. uh, And it's something that allows him to just think and ruminate on his poetry as he's doing his work. So yeah, I was kind of advocating for finding a job that's very low intensity in terms of the intellectual work that you have to do at the job itself so you can have your mind just kind of working away in the background so yeah I don't know I don't know if there are any parents of poets listening but if there are yeah maybe it's about letting go of what would look like a traditionally successful career quote-unquote or career at all because being a poet And having a career as a poet never looks linear, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's not going to have a trajectory that makes a great deal of sense to the outside world, usually. So that was my advice at that moment. Um, I'm sure that there are many other ways to look at that situation, though. So I want to move now to the poem Patterson itself which is William's uh, epic poem. It's a book-length poem. Actually, it came out in five volumes um, between 1946 and 1958. And I want to read you this section called The Delineaments of the Giants. And I think this section gives you a pretty good idea of what it is that Williams is doing in Patterson. And again, that sort of issue of men and women that comes up a lot in his work. So, this is part one of The Delineaments of the Giants from Patterson. Patterson lies in the valley under the Passaic Falls, its spent waters forming the outline of his back. 
He lies on his right side, head near the thunder of the waters filling his dreams. Eternally asleep, his dreams walk about the city where he persists incognito. Butterflies settle on his stone ear. Immortal, he neither moves nor rouses and is seldom seen, though he breathes and the subtleties of his machinations, drawing their substance from the noise of the pouring river, animate a thousand automatons, who, because they neither know their sources nor the sills of their disappointments, walk outside their bodies aimlessly for the most part, locked and forgot in their desires, unroused. Say it, no ideas but in things. Nothing but the blank faces of the houses and cylindrical trees bent, forked by preconception and accident, split, furrowed, creased, mottled, stained, secret, into the body of the light. From above, higher than the spires, higher even than the office towers, from oozy fields abandoned to grey beds of dead grass, black sumac, withered weed stalks, mud and thickets cluttered with dead leaves, the river comes pouring in above the city and crashes from the edge of the gorge in a recoil of spray and rainbow mists. What common language to unravel, combed into straight lines from that rafter of a rock's lip. A man like a city and a woman like a flower who are in love. Two women, three women, innumerable women, each like a flower, but only one man, like a city. Yeah, so look, I probably don't need to go too deep into that poem for you to see the pretty difficult um, setup that Williams gives us there for uh, the one man, the many women. It's it's clear to me in the reading of Williams that, that I've done and, and hasn't been a particularly deep or wide reading of Williams, but it's clear to me that he loves women. He loves, uh, he loves women a lot. <laughs> I think it would have been tough to have been married to William Carlos Williams, but it's, it's difficult to write his work off entirely just for his portrayal of women as uh, things as as objects of of beauty that are relatively one dimensional, um, you know. Like I said, this Patterson came out, you know, between forty six and fifty eight. I kind of hate that whole "it was a product of it, of its time" argument, but that is when it was being written, and um, you know, I think we can come down hard on Williams if we want, but we should probably be coming down harder on. Jim Jarmusch, um, you know, making a film in uh, 2016 that has this super one-dimensional female character in it. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm never going to entirely write Williams off for sure, but I think, you know, he does make me smile a bit um, just in the way that I, I, it's funny. Like he's seen as a really romantic poet, the, the poem that, most obviously springs to mind in that vein of his is, of course, this is just to say, um, which you can possibly even say along with me now, this is just to say I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were so sweet and so cold. 
And when we studied this poem in uh, Al Phil Reese's Modern and Contemporary American Poetry course, obviously there's the big conversation about is this a poem or is it just a note? More interesting to me is that this is just to say is, is seen so much as a love poem. I mean... William has stolen Flossie's lunch, <laughs> oh, stolen Flossie's breakfast. And yeah, he's just, he's just straight up taking it and he's put a note there saying sorry. Even just inside that one poem, I think there's a portrait of a marriage that um, is, yeah, maybe not the most reciprocal. And the other thing that we looked at when we studied this poem in Al's course is Flossie's reply, which I really, really love. And I'm, I'm going to leave you with this just because it's, it's such a wonderful final word. So again, whether it's a poem or whether it's a note, I, I think it's really, really beautiful and fascinating. And yeah, it's, I think it's good to let, let Flossie have her say as well. Reply brackets crumpled on her desk. Dear Bill, I've made a couple of sandwiches for you. In the icebox you'll find blueberries, a cup of grapefruit, a glass of cold coffee. On the stove is the teapot with enough tea leaves for you to make tea, if you prefer. Just light the gas. Boil the water and put it in the tea. Plenty of bread in the bread box and butter and eggs. I didn't know just what to make for you. Several people called up about office hours. See you later. Love, Floss. Please switch off the telephone. <laughs>